anything goes. I love you, therefore I've got to accept you in everything you do just as it is. That's not Christian fellowship. Fellowship is when we desire the best for one another. When you truly love someone, you don't want to see them settle for anything less than God's will. And you see someone living a life of sin and choosing sinful habits and practices, the most loving thing we can do as a church is to confront them about this. And if they refuse to change, the Bible says that we ought to discipline them as a church. Matthew chapter 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We are commanded to discipline one another. That's part of being in covenant relationship with one another. You see, the church isn't just about getting served. It's about also serving. It's about holding each other accountable, and it's about being held accountable. And so if there is ever an event in your life where you are clearly outside the will of God and the bounds of God, and you are approached by myself or someone else from this church about this, it's not because we're being mean-spirited. It's not because we're being holier than thou. It's not that we're saying we're perfect, you're not. It's saying we as a church, you as a member, you are in a covenant relationship. We have got to hold one another accountable. Discipline builds fellowship. You take a family where there's no rules and there's no discipline, how tightly knit is that family held together? Everyone goes their own way and does their own thing. The church family needs to discipline itself. And when we do, fellowship is strengthened because sin is driven out and the fear of God steps in. You know, it's something we don't see a lot in, in churches nowadays, but you read the history, even of our church. You read there are times where people were disciplined, and we sometimes call it churched. People got churched, and sometimes they took it to extreme, but now we're on the other end of the spectrum, and you, you almost never see church discipline take place. But we need to restore that. It's biblical, it's practical, and it builds fellowship amongst the believers when done the way the Bible prescribes. Never a pleasant thing, but the benefits far outweigh the consequences of not doing it. Unite by discipline. Unite in sorrows. Unite in sorrows. Chapter 8, verse 2. We have just read the account in chapter 7 of Stephen being martyred, being stoned to death for his witness for Christ. It says, Some devout men, they buried Stephen and they made loud lamentation over him. These men came together. They had lost one of their own. They had lost a dear friend. They had lost a brother in Christ. They came together and they mourned together. They grieved over his passing. There is something about Christian fellowship that serves us in a time of need like that. In the loss of a loved one, the church came together. The Bible says members of the church ought to rejoice together. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice with them. And when one member suffers, we all suffer together with them. Fellowship is a way of reminding us that we are not going through this thing alone. We're not going through this life alone. We are not going through this on our own. 
But there is someone there that is walking alongside you that is going through life together with you. During the times of joy and jubilee, they are there to share that with you. Through times of suffering, they are there to help you carry the load. Someone once said, church, I'd be a place where joys are shared and burdens are shouldered. We ought to unite in sorrows. You see, God created us to be interdependent. Not to be independent and go do our own thing. Not to be codependent where we solely depend on someone else, but interdependent where we depend on one another. We are to unite in our sorrows. We are six. Unite around leaders. Around leaders. We see in chapter 15 of Acts, there was a circumstance where there was some doctrinal concerns over Gentiles being included to the, into the church. And should the Gentiles have to follow the Mosaic law? Should the Gentiles become Jews to join the church? I mean, that was a, a very important decision that needed to be made. So important so. We read in chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, it says, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, bringing great joy to all the brethren. There again, we are to celebrate together. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders, reported all that God had done. But there were some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed. They stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders, they came together to look into this matter. You see, I believe that the most situations in the church can be dealt with on the individual level, on the personal level. Most issues that, that come up, personality clashes, disagreements, or whatever the case may be, most issues should and can be resolved on a small level. Just come together, talk it out, work it out together, forgive one another, and be done with it. But there are some situations that become so large that church leadership has to be responsible for taking the lead of how the situation should be resolved. And in situations like that, like it was here in chapter 15, it is imperative for the church to follow the leadership that God has established. So long as that leadership leads in a way that is in accordance to what God has said in His Word. We see that in chapter 15. We read that elsewhere in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, says to submit to those who have spiritual authority over you. Why? Because they must give an account for you. And secondly, he says don't, don't grieve them because it would make things unfruitful for your church, for your life. Follow the leadership that God has established so long as that leadership is following God. And to undermine the God-appointed leadership of your church is a primary way that fellowship can be undermined. The fellowship, the unity of the church can begin to crumble when members begin to undermine the leadership that God has placed in the church. 
important that we unite around leaders not seeking to tear them down every opportunity we get but support them pray for them follow them as they follow God's direction number seven unite in repentance in repentance we read in chapter 19 an event in Ephesus where the apostles were there and preaching the gospel and people were getting saved and through their conversion they began to turn from their sin and a great powerful awakening of God began to move in that city chapter 19 verse 17 we read this this became known to all both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus being magnified there was a reverence for Christ that led to him being magnified. Fear fell upon them all. Corporates. Repentance. A corporate level of confession of saying, God, we together fear you, and God, we together are going to turn from our sins. Verse 18, Many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, disclosing their practices. Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it, 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Don't you want the word of the Lord to grow mightily? Don't you want the word of God to prevail in our community? If it's going to happen, we have got to have a reverence for God that leads us to corporate repentance. We repent for the sins of our church we repent for our lack of concern for the lost we repent for whatever it is that keeps us focused so much on the inside and neglecting the outside we repent of those sins that are holding us back from becoming the church God wants us to be we repent for our lack of commitment to expanding his kingdom we come together and we repent together and the result is revival and the result is second chronicles seven fourteen. god hearing our prayers forgiving our sin and god healing our land yes we are to unite in repentance recognizing our sinfulness corporately turning from our sinfulness experiencing revival and spiritual awakening being united in repentance finally we are to unite as a church worldwide worldwide chapter 28 verses 11 through 15 we see Paul here on his way to Rome being led there to seek trial to speak to Caesar to appeal to Caesar at the end of three months we set sail on an Alexandrian ship wintered at an island and says we put out for Syracuse and verse 13 we sailed around Regium and came in verse 14 there we found some brethren people that Paul had never laid eyes on in his life people whom, who never met Paul prior to this lived in a completely different section of the world than Paul 
In verse 14, there we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And it says, and the brethren there in Rome, when they heard about us, they came from there as far as the market of Appius and three ends to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. There is a unity that exists in the body of Christ that far exceeds what we see here within the walls of this church. Fellowship means we share a common bond with all believers of all places throughout all ages. Fellowship means that we share in Christ a common bond with every Christian who is alive and who has ever lived. We might have a different skin color. We might speak a different language. But if we are in Christ, there is fellowship. We are part of the church. You see, we are a church, and I believe the Bible teaches us we are to be part of a church, a covenant community of believers worshiping and preaching and discipling and disciplining. We are to be a part of a local church, but a local church is just one part of the universal church and if we are in Christ we have a worldwide church that we are a part of part of the family of God and here is Paul going to places he had never been before meeting people he had never met before and yet fellowship was taking place encouragement was taking place. I believe it is important for us as a church to, to minister and do what God has called us to do as a church. I also believe it is important for us as a church to cooperate with other churches to advance God's kingdom here on earth. That's why I believe to be in part of the local ministerial association. We don't always agree on everything, but we are a part of God's kingdom together. I believe so much so in, in the association. And I know you as a church do as well because I remember the morning I preached my trial sermon, I was asked specifically, what will your role be as far as being part of the association in Boone's Creek Camp? And I hope and pray that you have seen evidence in my life that I believe it is important to support our local association in our state convention, in our national convention. Cooperation. Working together. We can accomplish so much more partnering together than we ever can on our own. And why do we do that? We do that because we are united worldwide as believers in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God that we worship. There is one Jesus Christ that we all gain access to God through and only through Him. There is one Holy Spirit that regenerates every single believer. We are individuals, yes, but we are one. Scripture talks about the body of Christ in the book of Revelation, the, the bride of Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered before His throne.
It's going to happen in heaven. Why not take steps to make it a reality here on earth? Why not cooperate with other Christians building the fellowship? Speaking of fellowship, we at Ephesus, as I said earlier, we are united for meals. There's no doubt about that. We eat every Wednesday except when the fellowship hall is being renovated. And some of you are very uh, on edge <laughs> for those few weeks. But we survived. We, fe- we share fellowships together, June Day special occasions. Individually, we get together, you know, one Tuesday night a month, and we share table fellowship. And individually, we, we go out together and, and eat meals together, and that's great, and I encourage that. But it's not just the food. It is the faith. It is the faith that is the source of true fellowship. It is a faith that is grounded in and rooted in Christ. It is a faith that desires to see lost souls get saved. It is a faith that seeks to be discipled and to grow in Christ-likeness. It is a faith that we must cultivate with one another. You see, this world is desperate. This world is hungry for true fellowship. That's why you see things like the big blue nation People coming together to, to celebrate sports teams and cheer them on. They long to be a part of something that is much bigger than themselves. And we as Christians are a part of something that's much bigger than what's taking place right here, right now. All across this county, this state, this nation, all across this world, Christians are gathering to worship. And you and I are a part of that. And this world longs to be part of something that is much bigger than themselves. And the answer is the gospel. It is the gospel. We live in an age where people are increasingly trying to isolate themselves, but yet the more they do so, the more they shrink their their world and their relationships, the more hungry they become for genuine relationships. And we need to understand that as a church. But also, we've got to avoid the other danger. One writer called it koinonitis. An overabundance of fellowship, so much so that all you ever do is worry about what's going on inside this congregation. Come so inward focused that we don't pay attention to anyone on the outside. If you don't know any lost people, if you don't have any relationship where you're trying to share Christ or see someone get saved and praying for their salvation, if you don't know any lost people, you've got koinonitis because your whole being is centered around what takes place here in this church. And while fellowship is important, I hope you've understood that, don't hear me wrong, we have got to be looking outward and seeking to share the gospel and serving the community and being the light and the salt of this world that we are called to be. Be careful of being too inward focused. Pat Tillman was an army ranger who was killed in Afghanistan back April 22, 2004. What makes Pat Tillman so unique is Pat Tillman was a former National Football League player 
played for the Arizona Cardinals, and turned down a three-year, $3.6 million contract to play football to enlist in the Army and become an Army Ranger. He enlisted shortly after his honeymoon. His friends and family say it was the attacks of September the 11th, 2001 that really motivated him to give up his life of athletics and to fight for a greater cause. And after investigation, unfortunately, it was determined that Pat Tillman died as a result of friendly fire in Afghanistan. Through a tragic mistake, his own soldiers, United States soldiers, opened up fire on another group of United States soldiers. Pat Tillman was killed by friendly fire. And as tragic as that is, in a military setting, the same kind of thing takes place in the church setting. You see, it's not enough that we have to fight off enemy fire. Sometimes we've got to watch out for friendly fire from attacks from our own soldiers in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be cautious. We have got to do everything we can to preserve the unity of peace within the body of Christ. Sometimes that means turning the other cheek. Sounds familiar, don't it? It's what Jesus told us to do. Sometimes you've got to turn the other cheek. Sometimes you've got to swallow your pride. Sometimes you've got to bite your tongue. Sometimes you've got to say, I'm sorry, even if you don't think it was your fault. Sometimes you've got to let go of bitterness and an unkind word. Sometimes it means doing what's best for the interest of the church and the church body. We have all got to seek to strive for that. And I've shared it so many times here of late, and I know I probably sound like a broken record, but I can't emphasize this enough. Folks, right now, God is moving in our church. Awesome things are taking place. Our church is growing. There's enthusiasm. There's ministry taking place. We've seen folks saved and baptized and coming and joining our church. And God is blessing Ephesus Baptist Church. But the more God blesses us and the more we grow and the stronger we become, guess what? We become a greater threat to the enemy. And he will do everything he can to destroy what God is doing here. And one way he'll do that is to destroy the fellowship. All it takes is just one foothold. All it takes is just one root of bitterness. One bit of jealousy. A little bit of pride. That's all it takes. One relationship strained. And then it begins to snowball. Brother John Ryder once said from our pulpit, God's going to use, or, or the devil's going to use somebody in this church. Don't let it be you. We ought to be humble. I'm not saying we ought to be freaked out all the time. On, oh, what's the devil going to do to our church? Oh, poor church. But let's be mindful. Let's be vigilant. Let's put on the armor of God. 
And when the attacks come, recognize that for what it is, and attack and fight back. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Pray for your church. Attend your church. Support your church. Encourage your church. Pray for your church. Pray for your church. Love your church. Unite fellowship with your church. Will you join me in prayer?